SBS.com.au/vn. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. It is a Tuesday upon us, and before we start talking the the interesting facts that are working into these markets, I just want to do a quick friendly reminder to our producers. One, take a moment for yourself. Um, get out, walk around that combine, walk around that grain cart. Give yourself a moment of mental relief as you continue with the harvest. It is extremely dry. Uh, take a moment as well when you bring those combines in or even if you leave them out in the field to make sure that all the chaff and everything is cleaned out of it because we want you to stay safe. We want your fields to stay safe. But most importantly, we want you to have that mental break uh, when needed. So with that being said, Mike Zuzalo is joining us today. He is with Global Commodity Analytics. And we kind of got talking before we started this program, Mike, about the harvest pressure that's underway right now. As you say folks there in Kansas are are going hard at it trying to get harvest done we're seeing that everywhere across the Midwest it's that time of year but with it being so dry I think it just adds a whole new layer I think it does too Susan I'm hopeful that we do get some rains for a variety of reasons here in the next five or six days and, the, and it looks like we've had our about our best chance in, in both sides of the Corn Belt, for the most part, um, excluding maybe the hard red wheat belt, unfortunately, um, and in probably two or three months as far as meaningful precipitation and a real pattern change. And I say that because there's a lot of tired producers out there that have been running full speed and, and just have not stopped. Um, we can see that in the trucks running right now. And um, we also have that major drought that's an issue uh, in keeping those U.S. river levels low. We're going to get a fresh report from the USDA um, on uh, what would be Thursday with their transportation numbers. But I was looking at last week's, and the corn barge freight movement uh, was only at about 154 barges that moved in that week. Uh, that compares to 308 barges for the same week versus the prior year. So it's really starting to crimp us and hurt us when we are going to need more and more commercial storage uh, at this stage. So I hope we do get some rains to slow things down a little bit and maybe help improve this uh, basis around the country. Well, we're going to dive more into that because obviously basis is going to continue to change as we see the pressure of the harvest, especially when you compare east during Corn Belt to the Western Corn Belt. And as we've talked already um, the last couple of days during this program, barge traffic has been a, a big issue and is weighing on everybody's minds as well, not only on the Mississippi, but on the Missouri. That, that's exactly right. And that's just now starting to backfeed into, because it's getting so severe, because now we're starting to see it on the Ohio River and the Missouri, as you say. And that's backfeeding into the price of rail cars and it's backfeeding into the price of uh, trucking. And I think that's going to become more and more of an issue if we don't get some rain. So the U.S. river level, that continues to be, if I had top three things to watch here before the report, it's the Ukraine-Russia issue. Uh, it'd be USDA's numbers and it'd be U.S. river levels. And after the report comes out, I'd drop the USDA numbers and go over to the Chinese economy and their actual demand for actual uh, agriculture commodities because I think we may see some fresh numbers from USDA tomorrow on uh, the ag side of demand when it comes to China uh, because their growth seems to still be slowing. They're still doing massive uh, COVID lockdowns. And about a week ago, the uh, attache for China came in with a fresh report. And it was interesting because their feed production numbers uh, year-to-date from January to August uh, for, for swine was down 8%. Their egg layers down 5.5%. Their broilers down almost 7%. 
and that's their industry feed. We don't know what their backyard feeding is, but it, it clearly shows that their demand side of their equation in the ag sector is starting to slow through their feeding because of their COVID policy, and, and it's starting to show up in even today's IMF numbers as well. So having said that, how much is that going to affect? And we know that China's been doing a lot of purchasing from South America, but how much pressure for not only South American producers, but American producers, is that going to put on export opportunities? Yeah, I mean, if we do get the rivers back, I, I, I think that we will still have our seasonal bump in, uh, in, in supplying China and the world because we are cheaper right now than Brazil, at least coming out of Paranagua. Uh, I think, though, that when you look at the potential for what South America, specifically Brazil, may produce, um, if we if we see China slow down to 3% or less growth in this year, Susan, and I'm at 3%, there are some pretty big investment banks in Asia that are down to around 2.7% growth. And, and to put it into context for the listener, that'd be the slowest growth since 1976 if you take out the pandemic year of 2020. I mean, we're talking about some real hurt on the Chinese economy, something that I would not say is far away from an actual severe recession, if not depression. So if you have Brazil produce 150 million tons of soybeans in this upcoming production cycle, and you see China barely get 3% growth out of this this current year, uh, you've got a real supply-demand imbalance, one that we probably haven't seen since around 2004, 2007 time period. So that's something that I think has got to be honed in on every month we see WASD numbers. So we've got the report that's coming out tomorrow, and we saw a little bit of pressure today. Are we going to see that same type of pressure in the overnight and into tomorrow's day trade before 11 o'clock? Yeah, I think we will from a standpoint of wheat especially because, you know, wheat had that big major move yesterday thanks to uh, the escalation of the war over the weekend in a variety of areas and, and the nuclear potential coming back on the table as far as what the news was talking about. Today, you saw a noticeable shift in the wheat. I think in the beginning of the day, it was due to Russia coming out and saying, oh, wait, our production's not 101 million tons. Now we've got 98% harvested, and it's over 103 million tons. Well, that's 12 million tons plus over USDA's number last month. And so that really takes away the favorable, the supportive production numbers that we got on the winter wheat production figures at the end of September here in the United States by USDA. So between that and then late in the day, the Turkish defense minister came out and said that Ukraine and Russia are talking about Ukraine uh, grain deal being extended. We're even talking about maybe a little bit of peace discussions. It's the Fontenelle final bell on the... Fontenelle Hybrids delivers proven performance year after year. In farmer-managed trials over the last three seasons, Fontenelle's 15 top-yielding corn products had over a nine-bushel advantage over Pioneer's commercially available leading volume corn products. That's a 74% win rate on farms just like yours. Contact your local Fontenelle Hybrids dealer or go to Fontenelle.com to learn more. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and others. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing our conversation this afternoon with Mike Zuzalo. Mike is with Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, we had a listener that kind of wanted your thoughts. And it's kind of a loaded question because he says, I want Mike's thoughts on what's happening globally in this world. He's afraid, and amongst other producers as well, of this imploding. 
as we continue to see the tensions building with all these different countries, what that's going to mean for U.S. bottom line in agriculture. Yeah, I mean, this is where I, I, I share his concern. And I, I think doing the research I've been doing for both Russia and China over the last year and a half or so, Susan, I would say Vladimir Putin in Russia said in 2005, and this is almost in quotes, that the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century was the decline and the downfall of the USSR. Uh, he put that ahead of, you know, the Nazis. He put that ahead of... Uh, Mao's cultural revolution, you know, he put that ahead of a lot of bad stuff that happened, a lot of worse stuff, if you ask a person in the West. And so I, I started to think after reading a couple books on Stalin that Vladimir Putin has a lot of similarities to, to Joseph Stalin. And I think that if he thinks that the Soviet Union downfall was the worst calamity and catastrophe of the 20th century, he's not going to allow the, the Russian uh, state, as he has it in place right now, be... Uh, taken down on his own watch. And so I believe he's a greater threat than what we assume him to be at this point. And I think that if he were left to his own devices, that we would probably be at a higher level of threat with a nuclear problem than the Cuban Missile Crisis. But fortunately, I think there are other countries around him, including China, uh, that want to keep the, the temperature down. And I'm, I'm hoping and praying that we see that in the next couple, three weeks. But if you take that off to the side, I think the other thing that I share that concern about about the implosion mindset is the financial economic implosion. We're just not structured, in my opinion, to handle these types of interest rates, these high interest rates, given the debt load we're carrying uh, versus where we were 25, 35 years ago. And so I really think the world economy's changed. The world financial markets have changed. We're used to 2 to 3 to 4% interest rates. If we go any higher than that, I think we're going to start finding a lot of uh, disparity and a lot of dysfunction in the world economy. And I think state and nations and countries are going to have a lot harder time getting along, and they're going to be more protective of their currencies. And I think that's probably the biggest issue that I see other than what we see right in front of us with what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. What about Taiwan and China? I, I think that that is something that is going to be post-report on my list because that kind of goes back to the Chinese economy. Is the Chinese economy weak enough that they actually put off their invasion or taking over of Taiwan? And I think that directly goes back to what North Korea, what Iran, and what Russia are doing right now. So I, I would think that um, the Chinese government, Xi Jinping, is going to become the main leader in China. He's going to have the same level of power and authority is Mao. Um, he's going to be the guy, and really everybody else is underneath him formally. Uh, I would think with that kind of a power structure, um, you're going to probably know within about 60 days, essentially by the time we get to the holidays, um, whether he's going to make that move. I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, their economy and their COVID restrictions will tamp down his enthusiasm to want to try and, and take on ho uh, Taiwan. I'm also hopeful that the Taiwanese don't do anything aggressive or offensive to push him into a position. You know, we, we do want to learn a little bit from what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and stay at the table uh, to try and, and solidify and keep negotiations going and solidify peaceful ends, if at all possible, no matter what's going on around. Over to the livestock side, yesterday we saw a struggle for this cattle market when the corn went higher. Corn went down today, and the cattle market just kind of popped right back up. Yeah, and then, you know, related to what we just got done talking about, we when the IMF numbers came out, we saw the S&P 500 futures market and the S&P 500 equities markets 
plow into a new 23-month low. I mean, that takes us back to levels not seen since mid-2020, and that gets us back to pandemic territory. So this goes back to the former question. You know, if, if the dollar's strong and you've got geopolitical problems, um, you may get bumps in the agriculture sector for a while, but you're going to also get a real hit to the demand side. So what you get in the short term, you're probably going to pay for in the medium to long term. That's what history would suggest anyway. So in the livestock sector, I was really impressed with cattle, and I'm, I'm hopeful that because the feeder recovery today with the weaker corn, if that resumes tomorrow after the numbers come out and the corn carryover for 22-23 meets the you know trade expectations of about 1.1 to 1.2 billion bushels, um, and, and the feeder market can handle that, uh, I'm encouraged that maybe the cash fat cattle market may trade a 146, maybe even 146.50 price by the end of this week. And I say that because I think it's held up very, very well. And the funds have reduced a lot of longs. They're one of the biggest net shorts and feeders now at this point. And, and thirdly, I think it goes back to the issue with um, the export demand is just not backing off in the beef sector. Lots of things we talked about. Best way for folks to get a hold of you, Mike? Globalcomresearch.com is a website. Sign up for a trial. Send me a note if you need a call. Uh, there's a little free trial uh, tab there you can click on, so globalcomresearch.com. All right, Mike Zuzel has been joining us. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. And that's the Fontenelle Final Bell. It's been brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network. <laughs>